Uh, good morning. Welcome to the last uh, Sunday school class at Zepto uh, Today we will be considering the aspect of uh, preaching and the public reading of the scriptures as one of those elements that must be there in uh, congregational singing, or rather in congregational worship, excuse me. Uh, let's turn to the Lord in prayer and begin. We praise the name of Father and our God this morning for your loving kindness and mercy upon each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, the blessings of the new day, uh, your care upon us throughout the week. We thank you, Lord, for all the providences that uh, we've experienced this last week. Uh, we've known your presence through the the, the, the joys and the sorrows of the week known your precious hand. And I'll bless this Lord for uh, wish to know how best to come into your presence. Uh, help us to, to learn from your word what is expected of us so that uh, we will be transformed by the renewal of all minds and be conformed to the likeness of your son. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Um, we cannot talk about uh, acceptable worship and not talk about preaching and the public reading of, of uh, scriptures. Uh, let's, let's, let's think about uh, preaching and then secondly we'll come to the public reading of the scriptures. Uh, it is impossible for man to know God without uh, divine revelation. Uh, remember that God is finite, we are, uh, God is infinite, we are finite, excuse me. We, we cannot, how can the infinite God be known by us who are finite beings, except God himself reveals himself to us. So the doctrine of um, scripture is the foundation of all worship. You know, when we were talking about uh, the regulative principle of worship, which, which we began with, we pointed out that that principle stems from, the, uh, from the, our understanding of what the Bible is and the fact that it is not possible for us to draw near to God uh, and worship him acceptably on our terms. It has to be on his own terms. So the regulative principle of worship is one of the uh, one of the applications of our evangelical understanding of the doctrine of scripture. Because the doctrine of scripture itself is very foundational uh, to the Christian faith. It's the very life of the church. The centrality and the supremacy of the scriptures in the life of a church cannot be overemphasized. For this is the way God reveals himself to his creatures and tells man what he is and the relevance of his creation to him. So when we talk about the Holy Scriptures, we are talking about the 66 commonly received books of the Old and the New Testaments. Um, the Apocrypha, are not part of the divine inspiration and are not part of the canon of scripture. 
They have no authority to the faith and life of the church or of believers. Uh, and we, mustn't, we, must, we must not have that uh, simplistic attitude of, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, the people who have that simplistic uh, attitude to Scripture. What we believe must be from the Bible in its entirety. How we live as Christians must be guided by the Bible. What we sing must be the Bible. The content and the spirit of our prayers must be God's word. In other words, I'm saying that not only the manner which we dealt with under the regulative principle of worship, but also the matter, the matter of worship, which is what we are dealing with today, must all be from the word of God. Now, if you don't grasp the, uh, the fact that the Bible is a content and does regulate all that we believe and all how we live, then you may as well not be a Christian. Uh, but perhaps we might need to define a few terms when it comes to the doctrine of Scripture, uh, and then we can move forward with that understanding. Why do we so highly regard the Scriptures? Because it comes with divine authority. You know, the Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. The source of Scripture is God, since it is His breath. It proceeds from the mouth of God and comes with his divine authority. The power the Bible possesses having been issued from God for which it ought to be believed and obeyed is the way the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, chapter, uh, chapter 1, paragraph 4 says. Now, because of its divine order, the Bible is the source and norm for such elements as belief, conduct, and the experience of God. That's what the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms would, uh, says. Now, if you look at the Bible itself, you would realize that it claims divine authority. Constantly you read from the Bible that God spoke, isn't it? Or God said, or thus says the Lord. Or the word came from God. The point is that the Bible is the word of God from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 22. From the beginning, God spoke with Adam and gave him specific instructions to be obeyed. His obedience was met with the just retribution. So God's word comes with its authority so that obedience leads to blessings and disobedience leads to punishment. Because it's God who is saying, therefore, that must be obeyed. The other term we need to bear in mind as we talk about the doctrine of Scripture is inspiration of Scripture. Paul tells Timothy uh, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that all scripture is breathed out, that term, breathed out, or breathed out by God, really, that's, that's how it should be translated, uh, the opnostos, 
that's a Greek word from where the theologians have traditionally drawn the doctrine of inspiration of scripture. Now, the point is to breathe out is to speak because you can't speak without breathing out. Inspiration is a divine act creating an identity between a divine word and a human word. It means that God takes words of human beings and makes them his own. And that process was organic because it was neither dictation nor mechanical. God was not impeded by human limitations. Let me quickly demonstrate that to you from the scriptures. If you look at uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 36 to 37, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 110, verse 1. And he says, uh, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. So was it David or was it the Holy Spirit? Yes? What does the Lord say? It's David in the Holy Spirit. That's, a very, uh, that's an extremely helpful explanation or description of inspiration. David was the author in the hand of the Holy Spirit, whereby what David wrote is what God breathed out and is exactly what the Spirit intended. This can be confirmed through the Bible. Based on Psalm 62, verse, 69, verse 25, and uh, Psalm 109, verse 8, Peter argues that the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before had by the mouth of David. That's what Peter says in Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Pointing his audience to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 10, Paul proclaims, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And uh, you know that the author of the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit also declares witness to us for after, the say, uh, after saying, that is in Hebrews 10 verse 16, the point is men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Peter recounts in 2 Peter 1.21. The Holy Spirit was at work in their minds. He enabled their pens to write exactly and precisely what he intended. That shows that it's inspired by God. There are the two terms, inerrancy and infallibility. Uh, terms that are very essential in understanding the doctrine of scripture. And inerrancy and inf infallibility marks the boundary. It designates the, the boundary between evangelicals, that is, Bible-believing Christians and liberals who would question uh, the Bible. Now, inerrancy means that the Bible, being from God, who does not lie, and who is ever true, and ever right and faithful. The Bible is free from, uh, from any errors. The Bible is free from any untruths in the original autographs. Autographs are the original texts of the biblical books as they were issued from the hands of the human authors. The Bible is free from human errors in its content. Now, infallibility, on the other hand, means that since God cannot fail, therefore his word cannot be broken, cannot lead us to error. The scripture cannot lead us astray. 
That's what the Lord said in John chapter 10, verse 36, that the scriptures cannot be broken. The Bible is trustworthy. In whatever scripture asserts and affirms, it speaks truthfully and it can be depended upon as a trustworthy witness. To say it is wholly true means uh, that we should not limit inerrancy to Scripture's main doctrinal message. We never see the biblical authors place such limitations on their writings. Instead, they believe God speaks truly through them in whatever they affirm. So inerrancy applies to all areas, including its ethical instructions, to name just one example. So inspiration is both verbal, every word, and plenary. And all its content. Then lastly, scripture is uh, sufficient and final. The scriptures being from God, our confession says, is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It is sufficient for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that you, man of God, may be thoroughly equipped Pretty good, as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.17. So the scriptures are sufficient to equip every Christian to the work of ministry. The scriptures are sufficient for salvation. Now we're not saying that the scriptures are sufficient for molecular biology, piloting, but they are sufficient to equip every Christian for work of ministry. General revelation is not, suffic uh, 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 is not sufficient for salvation. General revelation, that is uh, what is created, what we see. Uh, what Paul describes there in Romans 1, he says that what can be known to God is clearly revealed to everyone in what is created so that they are without excuse. But what is described there in Psalm 19 Verse 1, the earth declares the glory of God, the heavens show for this hard work, day after day pours out speech. So the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for God's own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down, scriptures, or is necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture. It's either expressly or necessarily contained in the Scriptures. Nothing is to be added, whether by new revelation of all the spirit or traditions of men. The Bible is given by God to his church as a paradigm of resolving all controversies of religion. Scriptures are the basis and foundation of determining the veracity of all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men. Therefore, all traditions of men and private spirits are to be examined by the scrutiny of God's word. So we rest in the sentence of scripture and not in no other as we prosecute any matter. Church. What I'm saying is that the discernment tool given to us by God is the scriptures. We rest on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
as Paul tells his Ephesians 2.20. So having laid that foundation, then let's come to the preaching of the word of God. With that understanding, how much should we value the word of God? You know, the Lord was giving the, the Great Commission. He said that we ought to teach the disciples that we make all that he has command, commanded. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The preaching of the word of God must be central to the very definition of the church. This is why one of the very first achievements of pioneer missionaries, whenever they went, when they came to Africa, was to translate the Bible into the language of the people to whom they brought Christianity. They knew how important the preaching of the contents of the Bible was, was to the health of Christians and of churches. But sadly, too many churches in Africa, even in the world, have relegated the preaching of God's word. Preaching does not occupy a central position anymore. What do we have instead? Choirs. Given the center stage. And you have so many of them. You have the children's choir. You have the boys' choir. You have the men's choir. You have the women's choir. You have the women's girls' choir. You have, there's so many choirs. And by the time you're done, there is a drama skit to present. And guess what? When everything has been said and done, there is no time for preaching. And if, I would say, pity you if you're the preacher, because you'll be told, preacher, we will give you 10 minutes. Please do not exceed. And by the time all the choirs and all the presentations are done, and the poor preacher has gone up the pulpit, people are either very hungry or very tired to listen to him. So as soon as he opens up his mouth, he sends everyone to sleep. There's no room for God's word. Very shocking. This is the device that the devil has been using to ensure that the word of God does not have a place in the lives of professing Christians. This must change. The book of says, preaching is the most important mark of the church. It does not mean that the preaching must be perfect and absolutely pure, but that it must be true to the fundamentals of the Christian religion and must have a controlling influence on faith and practice. Closely connected with the preaching of the word of God should be the proclamation of the gospel. This is the heart of the word of God. The church should be one place where men and women are constantly reminded that they are sinners. And they are reminded the way in which God reconciles himself to sinners is through Christ, through the person and work of his son, Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel must be taught in its fullness. Sinners are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, for God's glory alone. 
where salvation is being taught as achieved through works of human righteousness or through any human effort whatsoever, whether in part or in whole, Christ, the Savior, has been relegated. He cannot use by the help of the arm of flesh. He will save you by grace alone. He does not need any help from human beings to save. And where people purport to be saved by means other than Christ alone, goats are fed and sheep are served. And you know that goats are not part of the church of Christ. Goats are like tares, and the sheep are like the wheat. Though they must grow together, but we must be working hard to ensure sheep are fed. There is truth of God's word, so that the sheep, the flock of God, is fed. The true gospel must be an essential component of the definition of the church. Now you well know that human beings are busy suppressing the truth by their thoughts and words and actions. And we must introduce the word of God, the message of the gospel, that through faith in Christ, Sinners, even the very worst of sinners, can be saved. Where there is failure by the church at this point to preach the gospel, the only door of hope for sinners is shut. The church is primarily charged by the Lord to preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Faithful preaching of the gospel is the method that God has given his church to dispense the riches of his grace to the world. So the power and the authority of the church is in preaching. So we preach the word. We sing the word. We live the word. Now the charge there in 2 Timothy 4.2 is preach the word. Not sing the word or dramatize the word or do social or cultural gospel. This was so, the Lord could have said so. While these things have their place, they must not be the central business of the church. The church must, as of first importance, deliver the message of the gospel across the world. Now, it's possible to sing the gospel, <clears throat> but the preacher <clears throat> is excuse me, is a herald of the king. He comes with the king's authority and he says, thus says the king, this you must believe, this you must do. The faithful preaching of the gospel cannot be mistaken by the world because it is a very equipment the Holy Spirit uses to open the heart and eyes of the spiritually dead sinners. And unless we see the sovereignly appointing tool of preaching the gospel, we really do not, do not have anything to give to the perishing world. So even when we sing, we must sing songs saturated with the gospel content.
I also need to point out that announcements, as important as they are, they're not part of the worship service. And if they must be there, then they must be made as briefly as possible. You know, brethren, I must point out to you history. History has shown that there is a great need to, for every true church of Christ to deliberately make preaching the center of worship. If we are good students of history, we will notice the effects of the faithful preaching of God's word, whether by such men as the apostles, Peter preaching in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, or Paul in Athens, or Augustine of Hippo, or Martin Luther in Germany, or all those reformers, or the Puritans of the 17th century, the Great Awakening in the 18th century. We could even say that, humanly speaking, the Great Awakening would be attributed to the preaching of George Whitfield, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and other faithful preachers. Look at men like C.H. Uh, uh, Spurgeon, or such a preacher that God used, in, uh, used his labors in London, or, or men like J.C. Ryle in Liverpool, or Martin Lloyd-Jones in London. And you see the effect of their preaching. Long after they are, uh, you know, so many years, so many centuries are after they are dead, they continue to preach. Their witness remains. If preaching is not highly valued, then churches greatly risk falling off the cliff. Suddenly, there are so many churches that have, that have gone off rails. It began with a great apostasy of the Roman, the Western church based in Rome, which is now called the Roman Catholic Church. And they began by elevating the elements of a Holy Communion higher than the Word of God. And then they began lighting up candles. And before long, the light of the gospel was gone, was extinguished. And then we had a thousand, a whole millennium, uh, a whole millennium of uh, darkness throughout the universe. And it got so bad with the Roman Catholic until they confused the elements of a supper with Christ. That's the, their doctrine of uh, the Holy Communion is so flawed that you wonder. And to them, they believe that when, they, when the priest lifts up the elements like this and says that this is the body of Christ, that immediately the, the bread becomes the body of Christ and Christ is there. And you should go down on your knees worshiping. I remember attending a wedding with some brethren from this church at a Roman Catholic uh, gathering. 
And uh, that statement was made at a wedding. And everyone went on their knees. My brethren with me also realized that everyone was going on their knees and they suddenly went on their knees. And uh, after the wedding, I, I did not spare them. Told them, you bowed to Baal. You know, please, when you, if you happen to go to those kind of uh, Catholic weddings, don't kneel just because everyone is kneeling. You don't know to whom they are kneeling. Now, music is sweet. We all want to listen to good music. But music must not be elevated higher than the preacher. So the reason why you would find that these places raised and there is a lactan is so that the preacher would be speaking as one with the, with the authority from, from God and from a vantage point. So that that authority is not only hard, but also seen. The reason why I'm down here is because we are going to interact. But when you go up to preach, there is no interaction. It comes with God's authority. No one is supposed to ask questions at that time. It comes with God's authority. You know, when the Herod came with the king's edict, and he's on his horse, and he says, that says the king, from today henceforth, you shall be paying house levy. That was it. You wouldn't say, uh, he said 3%, you wouldn't say, can he make it too? Now, I need to point out that we are under no king. Okay? The president is not a king. So that's, that's a place of the preaching of God's word. If you look at uh, that passage I, that I pointed out to you in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, you see the sol solemnity with which the, the command comes. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, 2 Timothy 4, 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, buke, and exalt with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. Rebuke, rebuke, reprove, exalt. We must preach the word. Is there any comment there before I go to the public reading of the scriptures? Uh, yes, Marka. Thank you. Uh, my question is on interpretation. Some people have become lost on interpretation of the scripture when they preach. That's why I need some insight on that. 
What would you like me to say about interpretation? I think there are many preachers when they preach, they interpret it differently. They misinterpret. They, yeah. Well, uh, Paul speaks about that. It's not a very, it's it's not a modern phenomenon. We turn to Second Peter, chapter three. You you find out that uh, in verse sixteen. Second Peter 3, perhaps we could read from verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord, uh, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Verse 16, as he does, that is Paul, in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. This, uh, uh, it says there are some things in them, that is in the letters of Paul, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You know, there are clear, universal, and even universally accepted method of interpreting and understanding any given text. And you use those principles, you will understand the Bible. The Bible is not difficult to understand. It doesn't, you don't need anyone to interpret it for you. It's already set forth clearly. Um, but then there are people who decide that they will tell you what the Bible is talking about like for example they go to goliath uh, they go to the story of david and goliath they see that david picked up five stones from the river riverbed the pebbles that he picked up or his sling and they will tell you come i will tell you what the five stones are they go on to try to explain what they could be do you think those stones have more significance than that they were stones that were able to be mighty in pulling down the kingdom of darkness in the name of Goliath of God? Really, they were just stones. That's all. That's what the Bible says. There is no more interpretation needed. That whole problem came from spiritualizing, uh, which is a, a method of interpretation that was developed during the Dark Age, and it must be rejected. The Bible is plain to all. Because the Bible does interpret itself so that you use clearer passages of Scripture to understand the obscure ones, because the Bible is not equally clear. There are some passages that may not be as clear, but, but you use other passages that are clearer to understand. Scripture interprets itself. That comment or question? Okay, then I have a question for you. 
Why is it that uh, uh, women cannot preach church or exercise authority? That's Dennis. Uh, because the scriptures is very clear in the book of uh, Timothy, First Timothy, uh, about uh, women not having authority over men. To realize that that text was written by Paul, who may have been, for all we know, a male chauvinist. After all, he wasn't married. Oh yes, and so um, we we have to look at other passages of scripture that clearly shows. Um, so you accept that Paul was a male child? Ah, right? uh, no, no, no. I I'm just uh, I'm not accepting. Okay. I'm just saying people. There are some people who say that. Are they right? No. What should be our response? Um, as you have said, um, the all apostle all scripture is breathed out by who? By God, not by Paul. Yes, right. And uh, him, he received uh, whatever he received. Uh, the, not whatever he received, the word of God. Okay. Okay. So, um, he received the word of God from, from, from God Spirit. himself, from yes. the Holy Spirit. Yes. And uh, we see this pattern in scripture, how uh, Christ chose his disciples. There were 12 apostles. Is that uh, we can use that as one argument? We go also to the book of First Timothy and also Titus. We see the qualifications of the elders and the deacons will well laid down there. And when we look at uh, for the elders, we see that scripture says the pastor should be a husband of one wife. Uh, right. I think you began well. Sometimes I think when we, we go into so many arguments, that's where we lose it. The Bible says it. That's really it. It's not because we, anyone is hating women. After all, we get married. You know? So all these arguments about, uh, um, or from, the, from, the, from the world, from the liberal mind, do not help. The fact is, God says it, we accept it. It's in his, in his word. Yeah. Of course, we can buttress our arguments from the rest of the Bible, but all we are saying in our arguments is, the Bible says, God says it, that's it. Mugeta would like to make a comment. I think it's, it's on, on, on the, same, the same issue of women preaching. When Paul says um, he doesn't, I do not permit a woman to teach, 
or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. That is First uh, Timothy chapter two, verse fourteen, verse thirteen. It's only one verse. There are others, but if that verse is not true, then the rest of whatever Paul has written is not true. So really, we we cannot just dismiss one passage and and say it doesn't have authority. It's part of the word of God. So if if and I pay the churches that. That, that that dismiss. I don't know how they explain this passage anyway. I don't know whether whether they would preach from this passage because it's very clear. And if it is not true, then the rest we we, we can do away with all all the the, the 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 writings of Paul. Yeah, because it's the word of God. The whole of it stands together, and it has authority. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I remember having that conversation with my uh, with my niece, and uh, her husband is a pastor, and she's also being a pastor's wife. She's also uh, a what? A pastor, and uh, uh, she's invited to preach different places. So one day we were in the car, and uh, that whole conversation came up. And uh, she began arguing how she's gifted by the Lord. If God didn't want her to preach, then he would not have given her those spiritual gifts of being able to teach. And uh, I pointed out to her that uh, having the gift <clears throat> doesn't mean that you discharge it without express mandate from God. Uh, who knows whether you have the gift anyway, I asked her. But but I did bring it bring it to their attention the fact that uh, if you don't like what Paul says, because the husband has been taught in a liberal theological seminary. Most of the seminaries in Kenya actually are very liberal. This is what they teach. Uh, so I, I asked him then, brother, if you don't like Paul that much, why don't you do this? Get your Bible, go to Romans. Plug it out. Go to First Corinthians, cut it out, and go to the rest of the Pauline letters. Now, when you've done that, go to Second Peter. Second Peter says that the passage that we just read says that Paul's letters are scriptures. Cut it out as well. And since you cut out Second Peter, why don't you also cut out First Peter? And by the way, you may burn your whole Bible because you don't believe the Bible. That's really the, the case. If you don't believe one verse, then you're saying that the word of God is untrustworthy. That you're saying the scripture can be broken, isn't it? Because it's not dependable, it's not trustworthy. Yes, Joyce. I have a question concerning Mark 9, 19, chapter 16, from 9 to 20, because in the ESV version, it says, 
some of the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, Mark six, chapter sixteen, from verse nine to twenty. So I was wondering what that what that means, and when I'm reading those verses, how should I view them? I think we need to have a world Sunday school lesson on the doctrine of scripture. Um, so there are each translation is based on uh, various original texts. And uh, when you read manuscripts, there are various manuscripts. So King James Version, for example, is based on a text called, yes? What is the text upon which uh, King James Version is uh, translated? Is there anyone who knows? called uh, Textus Receptus, and it's one of the minor texts. Now, uh, ESV and NASB is based on uh, what they call majority text. In other words, you have many, many texts, old, older even than Textus Receptus, that agree uh, that's the basis upon which this uh, particular translation was based. So that's a fairly technical question you're asking, Joyce, and I don't think I have the time to deal with that right now, other than to say that there are texts that uh, lack that particular, those particular verses. Um, <clears throat> but if you go, uh, ESV has done you some service by giving you uh, the footnotes that have a number of uh, verses that are missing in the, in the major or in the majority of the text. Okay? Right. Please allow me to go to the public reading, reading of the scriptures. Uh, Jesus often asked the question or, or questions about people's understanding of the scriptures, and he would begin by asking this question. Have you not read? What does that mean? What, what is his, his, his expectation of, of people? To do what? He assumed that those claiming to be the people of God would have read the word of God. And a case can be made that this question implies a, a familiarity with the entire Bible. When Jesus said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Surely he intended, at the very least, for us to read every word, right? And since all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16, shouldn't we read the world by? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. Revelation 1.3 tells us, Blessed is the one who reads the words of his prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. God promises that those who read and heed his word will be blessed. But only those who discipline themselves to do so will receive those blessings. 
Remember that the main reason for disciplining ourselves to read and hear the word of God is godliness. Spiritual disciplines are spiritual paths where we may expect to encounter the transforming grace of God. They are means of grace. The most critical discipline is the intake of God's word. <clears throat> the church should be reading the, the Bible. The easiest of the disciplines related to the intake of God's word is simply hearing it. Now, reading and hearing go together. If we don't discipline ourselves to hear God's word regularly, we may only hear it accidentally, just when we feel like it, or we may never hear it at all. So we need to develop the practice of steadfastly hearing the word of God, uh, reading the word of God, and that's how we may grow. Jesus once said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Merely listening to God-inspired words is not the point. The purpose of all methods of Bible intake is obedience to what God says and the de development of Christ-likeness. The method uh, Jesus encourages in this verse is hearing God's word as the basis, as the foundation upon which you would be able to obey. You can't obey that, you, that which you've not been instructed. So how much do you hear the word of God? And how regularly? Another passage emphasizing the importance of hearing is Romans 10, 17. Consequently, the Bible says, faith comes from hearing the message, or hearing the gospel, or hearing and hearing through the word of God. You know that multitudes of believers have come to faith through uh, hearing the word of God. Think about uh, Augustine of Hippo. Uh, remember when he had that chant by kids, take it and read it. Took the Bible and read it. Or Martin Luther, he also read Romans 1, 16 and 17. Or Jonathan Edwards, these are men who, through reading the Bible, they came to faith. And many of you can say the same. The point is, reading the scriptures and hearing the scriptures, those are two disciplines. They go hand in hand. They must not be seen as irrelevant part of the worship service. You know, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, you need to turn there. Because this is the express command that we obey when we read the scriptures. The Bible says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, in purity. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, exhortation to teaching. So, Whatever we do, we must have public reading of scriptures. Church leaders and, uh, and fellow pastors, we must make sure that there is a faithful, consecutive reading of the scriptures, the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit appointed you overseers. 
public reading of scripture ensure that the voice of the uh, of the good shepherd is heard and adulterated and since this is so it should become a, discip a, a disciplined priority for us to hear it if, if someone says i don't need to go to church to worship i can worship him on the golf course or i can live stream our service by the bedside as well if not better or as much and they forget that there is our actual injunctions there are actual demands laid upon us to hear public reading of scriptures not private reading of scriptures now we may agree that God can be worshipped anywhere, but there is a demand for us to hear public, uh, to hear the scriptures read to us publicly. So how do we read and how do we hear the public reading of the scriptures? say there should be prayerfulness when you enter a church building to worship you need to pray that God may help you to hear the word of God it, it demands attention how do you arrest your minds from wandering around and about when Scriptures are being read, and especially throughout the worship. It demands punctuality. How do you plan your time so that you're always there for God's word on time? If you're, not, if you're going to make a bad use of your week, then you're definitely going to come to church late. Then there is humility. How do you receive the word of God? Is it with meekness? You know, James says that we are to receive the word of God with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save our souls in James 1 verse 21. And then there is adaptability to God's word, obedience. How does the word of God transform you? Called upon to be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And then there is implementation. What do you do to obey what you hear? Be doers of, of the word, the Bible says, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So how do you implement what you hear? Listen to this counsel from Jeremiah Barrows. He says, first, when you come to hear the word of God, if you would sanctify God's name, you must possess your souls with what is in your, in you, <coughs> excuse me. You must possess your souls with what it is you're going to hear. That is, what you're going to hear is the word of God. Therefore, find that the apostle writing to the Thessalonians gave them the reason why the word did them so much good as it did. It was because they did hear it as the word of God. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you had from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God. 
Thessalonians two thirteen. So when you hear the word of God read, do you say, "There he goes again"? A word. Why can't we read just a verse? When you served your pork ribs, you don't say, give me just one. You'd rather have a few more, isn't it? So why should we give you only one word? We should give you as much of that which is breathed out by God, by which you can be made wise unto salvation. So hearing the word of God is not merely passive listening. It is a discipline to be cultivated. We must dwell in the word of God, right? If it is going to dwell in us richly. We must turn to the Bible, not just individually, but congregationally. <clears throat> Listen to this. Surely, we only have to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we need to turn to the Bible. How often do we face problems? It's a question. How often do we face problems? Once in a while, right? Every day, right? How often do we face temptations? How often do we face pressures upon us? Every time. Then how often do we need instruction, guidance, and great encouragement through those problems, temptations, and pressures of life? Always. To catch all these felt needs up into an even greater issue, how often do we need to see God's face? Yes? How often? How regular do we need to hear his voice? And feel his touch and know his power. The answer to all these questions is the same. Every day. American evangelist D.L. Moody put it this way. A man cannot make... Uh, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months. Do you hear that? A man cannot, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months. Or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time, to sustain his life for a week. Must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we meet it. By reading the Bible, every day, on our own, and when we gather. Let me give you practical suggestions for consistent success in Bible reading. Perhaps one of the main reasons Christians never read through the entire Bible in their lifetime is discouragement. I mean, how many of you have read through a book that has a thousand pages? Very few. Most people have never read through a thousand page book. So when you come to the Bible, you look at it and you're like, hmm, wow, it's thick. 
And then you look at the pages, they are very thin, which means it's bigger than it is. But do you realize that recorded Bible reading would only take you, I haven't quite proved this, but um, Don Witness says it. He says it takes 71 hours to read through the Bible. 71 hours. Now, many of you spend more hours than those in a week or in a month or let's even say in a year scrolling down the Twitter and the Facebook or watching TV. When a new movie comes out and you notice that it's a three-hour movie, you're not very bothered about the three hours, are you? Now let me tell you this. If you took 15 minutes every day to read the Bible. You would have read through the Bible in a year. If it took five minutes, it would take you three years. Yet the majority of Christians never read the Bible all the way through in their whole life. Self-discipline, self-motivation. Now, if you attended TBC morning and evening services, morning and afternoon services, fifthly, you will notice that there is a deliberate effort to read the Bible. The first thing we do is call to worship, take you to the Psalms, and then we read the, through a, a chapter in each of the services, and then possibly read through a chapter or a big portion of where the preaching will be drawn. And so if you're a faithful attender in worship and, on, and, and punctual, then you will have read through the Bible in its entirety in about five years or less. Imagine if each one who attends the church was also spending 15 minutes reading through the Bible every day. Our Bible literacy would be way higher than it is. Are you saying that you would not spend 15 minutes listening to the Lord? And you still want to spend all eternity with Him in glory? Are you saying that you would not listen to His voice now when you're away from Him? And you want to go where he is, where you will hear the thunder of his majestic voice all throughout and we will worship him. The fact that we are away from our Heavenly Father means that we would be eager. We would want to read and read his love letter to us, the Bible. So find a Bible reading plan, go through it, read through the Bible. But whenever you read through the Bible, I would like you also to do this. Find a phrase, find a word, find a verse to meditate on each time you read. 
obviously, if you're going to read through the Bible and you're not catching up any, you're not catching any word, any phrase that you are thinking about, then it's not likely to change you. You know, we should all have the passion for reading the Bible. We should be excited whenever there is an opportunity to hear the, the, the Bible read. Let me give you this story, then I'll close. <clears throat> there is this evangelist called Robert L. Sum in his book, The Wonder of the Word of God. He tells of a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in an, an explosion. His face was badly disfigured, losses of uh, his eyesight as well as both hands. And he just became a Christian when the accident happened. And one of his greatest disappointments disappointment was that he could no longer read the Bible. Then he heard about a lady in England who ran braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in braille. But he discovered that the nerve addings in his lips had been too badly damaged to distinguish the characters. One day as he brought one of the braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters and he could feel them. Like a flash, he thought. I can read the Bible using my tongue. At the time Robert Summer uh, wrote his book, the man had read through the entire Bible four times using his tongue. Now you do have your eyes, don't you? Why can't you read through the Bible more regularly than you do? Okay, can't you listen to, to it? You know, that time there was no audio recordings of the Bible. So we can discipline ourselves to saturate ourselves with the Word of God more than we do. Is there any comment before we close? Uh, yes, Tito. There's a comment also from Dennis. Yeah, so to comment on the public reading of Scripture and its necessity, I think we can see it uh, in the sense that Scripture originally was written to be read right. publicly. Right, that's right. Uh, the original hearers of God's Word, uh, somebody was standing in front of them and reading it all through. Uh, it's just with uh, the development in history and now the Bible being uh, a popular book that we thank God we can read privately, but primarily or foundationally, the Bible was meant to be read publicly. Yeah. Not a question, not a comment, but a question from. Two actually from YouTubers. Um, one is Pastor Murungi. How do you respond to a question on where those without husbands get the response from? It's a way many people run away from the truth of God's word. This is in reference to the question about women and authority. Uh, let me not make any comment on that. Okay. The second question. 
the second question was uh, women in public offices is there a limit is is the limit only in spiritual and family rather than in the workplace these these uh these sunday school classes were on public worship and uh people seem to be eager to take me away from the purpose for which the classes were designed we could have another series on uh all those questions and address them as efficiently as we can. It's better not to say something and uh, make a mess because too little was said than uh, say something that would, uh, you know, they can wait for that time when we'll deal with that subject. But the, the, all I wanted to say is that if it's written, it suffices. You don't need to, to raise too many questions and excuses and reasons why you can't obey what is written. All right, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we praise your name for your word. We thank you that we can uh, hear it preached and we can read and hear it. We can, uh, we can sing it. We can meditate on it. We can do all so many things with your word and in so doing grow spiritually. Please help us, Lord, that we will not neglect reading learning your word and living it help us even for the for the rest of the day that we will be uh, those who will let uh, let your word dwell richly in us so that we may admonish one another in in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody to the lord uh, in our hearts uh, please do hear us lord bless us for we pray in christ name. amen <laughs>